what you learn when you're in a challenging situation, I think you grow faster than, than you do if, if you just don't, e don't even try a challenge. Welcome to my podcast, Keep It Spicy. My name is Shuba, and I will be your host for today's episode. Interested in hearing about love, life, travel, and career? I will be exploring all those topics and more. If you want to tag along for something fun, entertaining, exciting, and of course, spicy, hit that follow button so you can stay up to date with more episodes. Now, let's get into it. This is Keep It Spicy. Today's guest is Georgia Pearson. Georgia is a well-traveled media planner and we met while working together at Jungle Media, which is an advertising agency in Toronto. Georgia graduated from McGill University with a double degree in economics and political science and a minor in international development studies. Her previous experience includes working at the MetLife Innovation Centre in Singapore, the Bridge International Academies with offices in London and Nairobi, and then as a social impact consultant in Johannesburg, South Africa. Hi, Georgia. I'm so excited to have you on my podcast. And again, thank you so much for joining me on Keep It Spicy today. Thank you so much for having me, Shuba. <laughs> so I'm going to ask or like start out by asking you, this is a question I ask all my guests, which is, you know, to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, like what you've been up to, basically, like, tell us about the spice to your life. Yeah, so I, um, I'm British, in case that, that didn't come across as being apparent. Um, I currently work um, in Toronto, and I'm in advertising. And I've actually just decided to move on as of yesterday and take a little bit of a sabbatical to figure out what's next. So I guess that's a spicy thing in my life right now. <laughs> very, very spicy. And like, do you mind sharing like what your tentative plans for the future are? Yeah, for sure. So I'm planning on just taking a little bit of a, a break, going and visiting um, some family and then figuring out in a couple months time over the course of that, that time, what I want to do next and taking a little bit of time to speak to various people in marketing and decide where I think the best fit would be for me going forward. That's awesome. And what is one thing about yourself that people might be surprised to learn? And this is something that we couldn't have necessarily like searched up about you on LinkedIn or, you know, or like looked up on your Instagram. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is I'm actually very passionate about theater. I did a lot of um, theater at university, a lot of plays. Um, I'm a huge fan of musicals. I guess that's something that you probably wouldn't figure out from LinkedIn. No, oh my gosh, I'm shook. I didn't know that. Oh my yeah. gosh. I, yeah. I would have never guessed. <laughs> I thought it's you were going to say something like or something. <laughs> it's definitely very hard to think about that right now during the pandemic because the whole arts world is, is really, really struggling, as, as you can imagine, without live, um, live performance being available. But as soon as things settle down, I'm, I'm looking to get into at least starting with community theatre and, and then seeing where it goes from there. Oh my gosh, I love that. Well, thank you for sharing that. So you just left your recent role as a media planner at this advertising agency in Toronto called Jungle Media, which is obviously where we met. Mm -hmm. I worked there too. So I'd like to start off by asking you what inspired you 
to dip your feet into advertising and media. So you've, you've told me this story before, like personally, like over, Mm -hmm. you know, our own personal like conferences or whatever, but you know, I want, I feel like it's such a nice story and I want our listeners to know. So basically, yeah. Could you tell me the story of how this interest was first cultivated or in other words, like what makes you passionate about this? Yeah, absolutely. I went to McGill for university and I studied a degree which is completely unrelated to what I do now, economics and political science. I mean, I guess you can say with any undergrad degree that there are certain things that you pick up from it and apply to your current role, but this, the connection was a little bit blurred. I, when I was looking for jobs, I was thinking to myself, right, what do I like doing? I knew immediately that client services was absolutely for me. I love um, presenting, being in front of people, advising clients on work. So that was definitely something that was a big uh, motivator. And then also in some of my internships that I'd been doing because I was young, they went, you know how to do social media, right? And I went, okay, yes, I guess I do. So I ended up managing um, and helping to contribute to a lot of uh, social media while I was doing my internships. And coming out of that, I realized, well, how do I bridge these two? How do I bridge this interest in marketing and and branding and communications with an interest in client services? And for me, the first step was advertising. And I actually started off by cold messaging somebody who went to McGill on LinkedIn thinking she's never going to get back to me. They're never going to read this. And she turned around and said, absolutely, yeah, happy to chat. So I spoke to her. She introduced me to a couple of other people who went to McGill and were working at um, my previous company. And I had just the best conversations. Everything they were saying to me was ticking all the boxes of what I wanted to have in a first role. And eventually did group interviews and then an offer was made. But that was I didn't actually know that much about advertising, but they knew that with my background in economics, familiar with numbers, that I could learn a lot of it on the job. Oh, I love that. And was this was this role also like in Montreal? So it was in Toronto. So I was hired, it's a bit of a whirlwind. I moved to Toronto very, very quickly. And I'd been here a couple of times, but I didn't, you know, people were talking to me about, hey, yeah, we're, we're just below, just off King Street, the office. And I was thinking <laughs> to myself, what, what's King Street? Am I supposed to know where that is? So it was definitely a bit of an adjustment period, figuring out where everything was in the city. Oh my gosh, I love that. And just to add in here uh, for our listeners, I also want to mention that Georgia also just recently won last year the Collaborator of the Year Award. So I know it sounds like, oh, I don't have any background, but like she picked things up really quick and I personally have learned a lot from her. So she knows her stuff. So I just felt like Georgia was a perfect person <laughs> to, talk, to, to talk to about advertising and media planning. So for someone that, so you know how you mentioned that, you know, you had like a background in social media kind of, for someone that's looking to get into advertising or like media planning specifically, what would you say are some challenges that they are going to face when they start out? Or like, what are some challenges that you faced when you started out or like, you know, that you still face? I think the the biggest thing for me when I first started was not knowing a lot of the the technical terms there, particularly when you're in advertising, working from a media side, there are a lot of um, metrics and terminology that if you had studied uh, or done a course in advertising or even just a a small little uh, training online, you probably would have picked a lot of that up. And 
so there are a lot of terms that were new to me and, and even to clients who haven't got a lot of experience in media and come from the creative side. There are a lot of words that, that people have to figure out as they go along. So I think that for me was the biggest piece. And then also just learning how everything works in tandem. So at, our, at the previous company that I worked at, you have media agencies, creative agencies, PR agencies, and there's a lot of um, collaboration that goes on between those agencies and you're learning media, but you have no idea how creative works. So it's a lot of listening, asking questions that seem really silly at the beginning, but that's what, that's what your team wants you to do so that at least you've asked all the questions and you know how to, you know how to pick things up as you go along. I think also that my best advice for somebody who wants to get into the industry is speak to people. So cold message people on LinkedIn, find friends of friends who know somebody, they're called weak ties. You don't know these people as your best friend, but get in contact with them and just say, I am thinking about moving into advertising. I don't really know where to start. Do your research, of course, and, and have questions ready and then, and then ask away. I think that's the best place to start. And you never know, somebody may have a spot open on their team or know of somebody that's hiring and, and can point you in the right direction. On the flip side of this, what has been the most like rewarding part of working in advertising? So for me, the most rewarding work is definitely the, the client facing time and all of those opportunities, being able to guide clients through their business challenges and just making sure that we can be there to support them. I've also really enjoyed, there are two accounts that I work on. One of them is um, a hospital foundation um, and the other one is a, a government account. And the work, I think we always joke about this in advertising, that we're not necessarily saving lives, but definitely when you work on charitable accounts, you truly are making a difference in the world. And that through all of COVID, and it's definitely been a tough year and a bit, working on the accounts where you are really making a difference for people and you can see that that, that filters down. Um, even if you're playing a small part, that's what you get out of bed in the morning. You think, actually, I'm, I'm making a really big difference here. So that's what has been the most rewarding part of my job, I would say. Oh, my gosh, how beautiful. And I, <laughs> like, I resonate with that because like I know which accounts you're talking about. And it's like you're right. Like it may be like a small difference, but at least it's like a, it, it is a difference. Mm -hmm. A small difference is better than no difference, and especially mm -hmm. given the like the pandemic times with yeah. like our endless lockdowns that just don't seem to be ever like they're just never ending like I love that this is my classic question so what is something about advertising or media planning that you know you as a media planner would like to debunk what is this misconception that you think goes around a lot that you're like hey guys no I think when people uh, immediately approach advertising they think mad men they think the big creative pitch we're going to revolutionize the way that you know with this jingle or with a certain ad and for people who aren't in the industry i don't think they have the clearest idea of the work that goes in in support of that you know we have pr we have analytics teams media there are so many different teams that work to actually make a successful advertising campaign. And it's not just always about the big, glossy, sparkly idea. There is a lot of uh, data that goes on behind this. We're not just, you know, throwing the message out there and hoping that it resonates with somebody. We've done the work to figure out who it will resonate with, where they are, and how, and how to reach them and how to make sure that that message 
really clicks in the place that it is. So I think definitely the big sparkly idea is, is sometimes what people think when they think advertising and, and there's so much more at play. Oh, I think that's a really good answer. I feel like there's also a misconception that if you say I'm in advertising or media, it's the same thing as marketing or like, what are mm-hmm. your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it's definitely, there's a difference. Where I worked previously, we definitely see them as two things that go together. So the marketing is definitely more of, that's what happens on the client side. And they have a lot of insight into all sorts of things that, that filter into marketing. So you have to be talking to the sales team, you have to be working with the finance team. Advertising is, I guess, the key way of figuring out now that we need to get our brand out there, how do we how do we figure out what that message is and how that is conveyed to our audience? So it's definitely they definitely work together, but they are they are definitely separate. And I think beyond just advertising, I I think some people would disagree that public relations sits within that field, but it it definitely there are many many ways that advertising comes to life and there are lots of different teams so I think marketing is taking the brand and building the brand and then we help disperse that building the brand and then helping disperse the brand I like Mm -hmm. that um so also like I know that media planners sometimes are tasked with something called media buying so do you have experience with media buys and if so could you like explain to our listeners what media buying is yeah, absolutely. So although my, my title is media planner, you have people who are also called media buyer. And the, t- the thing that separates the two is a media planner will typically build strategy and then build, put the plan together of how we're, going to, um, how we're going to disperse a certain message, what channels we're going to use, for example, Facebook, Instagram, TV, and then media buyers are the people that take that plan and then actually purchase that media and execute. So it, it depends at different agencies, but at least where I worked before, we treat ourselves as people who wear many different hats. So we have a dedicated broadcast and online video buying team. So they'll buy television, commercial space. They'll also buy commercial space on platforms like YouTube. but because we're media planners and we definitely wear all the different hats, I have got experience buying YouTube, um, buying Facebook and Instagram, Pinterest, billboards. So we definitely take the approach of going from strategy and then following that through to execution, camping, going live, and then afterwards doing what we call a post-mortem to see how everything did and, and how to take that and prove it as we go forward. So it's definitely a a bit of a mix of everything where where we worked before but i think that really helps because then you have the experience of actually getting down in the weeds and knowing how to do this so when you say buy so like do you negotiate with the vendors like like what does that all do you do all of that so it depends facebook you can't negotiate with Facebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there are certain platforms where it's um, you buy in platforms. So the rates are pretty much um, set already. And then for certain vendors like um, print or billboards, we call that out of home, you can negotiate. So an example is, you know, with the pandemic, not many people have been out and about as much definitely when the pandemic first started. So you can negotiate rates 
based on the real life situation of what's going on. If there aren't as many people out and about, then the rates can be changed to reflect the real life situation. But it really depends on, on the client, particularly for charitable clients. Negotiation is extremely important because um, having bonus media is really important because the budget that you have, you really need to make it work as hard as you possibly can for the, the charitable client. Negotiating, in my opinion, is something that's so intimidating. Like I try to do it just as like practice, mm -hmm. but like what are, I don't know, how do you get better at that? Especially when you're negotiating for like an entire entity, right? Like for your, or for your agency, like how, what are some tips you have to like, you know, get out of that comfort zone and like, just cause you, I feel like the, the most, the key part to negotiating is like being confident in your ask, you know? So what, what tips do you have on that? It's a great question. When I first started, I remember buying some billboards and the, the rep for the billboard company said, yep, it's, you know, X amount of money. And I went, great. And I remember my manager at the time saying, we'll have you check to see if that rate is, is suitable for the time of year, um, for a lot of other factors. Can we bring that down? Because we have certain objectives we need to hit for the client. And based on the amount of media you buy, you'll get a certain number of impressions or eyeballs on, on the ad. So have you, have you tried negotiating effectively? And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this person who I'm speaking to is, is far more senior than I am. How on earth am I going to make this happen? And it goes back to arming yourself with all of the, the information. So I went back to them and said, look, based on the time of year and based on what we need to achieve for this client, what about X percentage discount on that amount? Is that something we can work with? And it's also remembering that you've got to come from a position of full of information. You've got to be reasonably transparent with the person you're communicating with and, and know that at the end of the day, they're also trying to keep rates in a certain place to, to make sure that they're hitting numbers on their end. So it's just being very honest to a degree. There are certain things that you may need to keep in your back pocket, but having that conversation, not being particularly aggressive, but being firm in your stance and the numbers that you need to hit. My other recommendation would be it's very it's it's harder to negotiate over email than it is on the phone. So I remember that being very scary, thinking, oh my goodness, I've got to call this person up and I've got to ask them. And what if I say something that doesn't help my case? And it's just easier to say, look, to be completely transparent for the client, particularly for charitable clients, we really need this bonus media. It's going to help so much. I know that your company believes in this in this um, cause just as much. Do you think you could speak to your manager and, and can we can we work together to bring this down to a rate that will mean we can we can pursue this opportunity? So bring bring everything to the table and just treat it as a, a conversation, but make sure you are completely informed about the market landscape and what you need to achieve for your client. Yeah, being definitely well informed is a huge thing. You kind of like loosely touched on this um, earlier in our conversation, but you know, you want to have like a complete again, to be fully informed about your target audience or like the, you know, who you're aiming to get this market campaign to reach, I guess. Mm -hmm. So what steps do you take as a media planner to ensure that, you know, you understand the target audience well for your client or for this campaign? Yeah. So the way we approach that is 
my goodness, we have so many data sources and tools and resources. There are many, many, many. <laughs> and when, when we think about uh, trying to reach a certain audience for a client, it always boils back down to the brief. So what are they trying to achieve? What, do, what message do they need to get out there? What objectives do they have? And what is the target audience? Is it, you know, adults 25 and over? Is it women with children? What are, what are we looking for here? And then based on that, there are various tools where we can go in and look at really large consumer survey information to identify, for example, if we're looking at British Columbia and British Columbia, do people who have children, are they more likely to be in these towns? Are they more likely to to drive to work? Are they more likely to spend time on the internet? Are they more likely to listen to the radio? So it's getting a good sense of A, who the audience is. We can, we can pull a lot of information to be able to say women with children are more likely to participate in these kinds of activities versus general population. And then also looking at which media they would be able to consume more readily. So say women with children in BC are more likely to drive around town. They'll see more billboards. That's just an example. I, I'm not sure if that's completely true. But um, so we get all of that information. And then we can also take a look at various different tools online to be able to say um, which channels are most relevant to this audience. You know, would Facebook work better? Do we need to look to YouTube? And then beyond that, you can also go into platforms and be able to say what spend level is going to be adequate enough, how many dollars you need to spend to reach a certain um, portion of your audience. So that's just a, a, a very small snapshot of the, a lot of the tools that we have available. I will also caveat by saying that we have a lot of information and having data-driven approach is always what we have to do, number one, because at the end of the day, a client will turn around and say, well, why do you think that? And to be able to say, well, we've looked at the information. Here is the data. This is why we are recommending X, Y, Z. That is the most important thing to be able to do to make sure we're not just assuming that women with children are on Pinterest. It may be the case, but we actually need to have the information to prove that. And I have like two questions basically kind of drawing off of that. And one is, so how do you cultivate that data analytical mindset? What's like some practical advice for that? For me, I came from an econ background. I think that was actually when I was originally hired, the hiring manager said, because you've got econ picking up the, the data um, approach that we have here will be quick for you. I, I definitely think reading a lot would be my recommendation as well. There are a lot of amazing resources out there online. And if, if analytics and taking data, analyzing it and synthesizing it into a smaller bite-sized chunk so that other people can understand, it's very much educating yourself online. But then also, if that's something you're interested in, raise your hand at work and say, hey, I'd like to try that out and get somebody on the team to sit with you and do it. So you can go through all the data, bring it to them and say, well, based on what I found on, on through all of the platforms that we have, I think such and such. And then you can bounce that idea off them. And often I find working in a team environment is even better because you may have one take on, on the data, but somebody may pull out another little nugget of information that, that you didn't think was as um, pertinent to the discussion. But when you have a lot of people in the room, then other things come through that, that really make it interesting. 
Mm-hmm. The second question I had off of what you said earlier was, again, so going back to the client, you present the client with something. They're like, hey, what makes you say that? So I know that clients do not always see eye to eye with you as well, which is you yeah. know, where this like there's a little tiff that can happen every now and then. So <laughs> what does happen when a client is not on board with something you propose? Has this ever happened to you? And if so, like, how do you work around it? Oh, absolutely. It happens all the time. There's, uh, I think this saying goes for a lot of different situations, but it's the customer's always right or the client's always right. And the thing that I learned, and it was hard to learn this at the beginning, because particularly when you're newer in your career, you think, oh gosh, they said they don't like that idea, right? Well, we, we better do what they want. At the end of the day, we are advisors for the client and clients may have an idea of something. And then you may be able to say with your knowledge, and expertise and the data that, no, that's, that's not right. So you present it to them and then the client turns around and says, well, actually, I don't agree with that or I don't think we should pursue that option. It's always essential that you go back to them and say, well, and, and continue to, to guide them as to why you made that choice in the first place. This is why we think it is a good choice or a good recommendation. And then if they push back again and they say, absolutely not, well, then that's a decision you have to come to together. So at the end of the day, you can't just turn around if a client says no and immediately say, great, all right, well, then that's fine. Forget what we said. We'll go with your idea. Because with our information and our expertise, we actually have the the knowledge of what is right and what is wrong and what's a good recommendation and what isn't. It's not pushing back aggressively, but it's just helping them understand why it's potentially the right choice. And then at the end of the day, if the client doesn't want to pursue that, that's fine. And you have to work around that. But just because a client says something's right doesn't mean it's right. And you do have to um, be firm with your, your recommendation, um, but understand that they may have their own, um, their own reasoning behind it on their end and working in tandem to achieve their goals with the best practices in mind. Okay, so it sounds kind of like a, a little bit of like a give and take, but also yes. knowing that like, this is where I stand, but I will be open to seeing your perspective. Yes. As well. Exactly, exactly. And the other thing as well is there are certain clients who are, they worked in media in the past and things changed very, very quickly. So a client may come to you and say, well, actually TV is the best way. TV is the best channel we could use. Well, the market and industry has changed a lot since, say, 10 years ago. And we're seeing for this particular audience, based on the data, that actually social media might be the best channel. And you do have to come to them and be be firm in your recommendation and say, well, using all of this information, we would actually recommend a combination of the two, as an example. And they may come back and say, well, no, definitely TV. And you can say, all right, well, we've presented this information. If you do not choose to go to proceed with that, that's fine. But at least we've informed you of all of your options. Got it. Okay. No, that makes sense. Where, yeah, you're, you don't want anybody to make an irrational decision. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or a decision that's based on, you know, a personal uh, opinion or anecdotal information. You definitely want the data to back, back you up at all times. Got it. So now we're going to move on to a little bit of like a tangent. So I know Mm -hmm. that Georgia is an avid traveler. You told me in the past that your parents worked in Singapore for like five or six years. Uh, I also took a look at your LinkedIn. You were part of the Bridge International Academies, which I believe has like affiliations in 
the UK and in Kenya. Yeah. And then, of course, you, you know, you came all the way to Canada. You studied in Quebec. You're going to be moving on to the States and, you know, wherever life takes you. So first and foremost, tell me about, like, tell me more about, like, tell us the story. Tell us your worldly traveled stories. All right. So I was born in Hong Kong and I grew up there until I was... 11 and then my parents still live there but I actually went to boarding school in the UK from 11 until 18 and in that time period my parents were in Hong Kong and then they moved to Singapore for six years and then they moved back to Hong Kong and when I graduated from high school I was trying to decide where I wanted to go I'd been in the UK now for a little bit but it never truly felt like home because home was in in Hong Kong and I got into university in the UK, but I also, on a whim, applied to McGill because I, I knew a girl at my school who had been there and it looked amazing. You could ski, I could practice my French and I could get there and, and sort of craft my degree as I wanted to. And that was something that really drew me to it. I got in and I remember when I got in, my parents kind of went, what? Why? What? that's so far away. Why, why are you going there? It's a 13 hour time difference. And I just thought, you know what? It's a new country, a new start, a new adventure, I guess. It was, and, and I moved there and it was kind of scary. I remember when I first, first landed, my parents didn't move me and I just got on a plane and, and turned up and I had two suitcases because that's kind of all you could fit without having to pay loads of money for bags. And I arrived and I immediately thought to myself, where do I get a duvet? Where do I get pillows? Like, I need to have something to sleep on tonight. And I didn't know what Hudson's Bay was. So I remember just doing oh a Google gosh, search so of like, where do I, where do you buy pillows in Canada? And it was just, uh, there were definitely at the beginning, there was a lot of learning because it was a completely new country. And then since then, I've been in Canada for it must be now seven years. And I definitely have not made my life easy. My, um, my boyfriend's American, so we've been doing long distance for four years now. So I've definitely been on a plane quite a bit because if you want to see family <laughs> and you want to see your boyfriend, then um, you know that's the only way to get there. And then beyond that, I remember thinking to myself when I was at university, there are still a lot of places that I want to go to, but you know I didn't have any money and traveling just for the fun of traveling is definitely something that you have to work work for save up for all of that kind of stuff so the way I could kind of bridge that with also knowing that I needed to do internships is to pick internships that were in places that I was really interested in and so I did I did an internship uh, back home in Hong Kong I did one in Singapore and then I was studying economics and political science. And so my interest was um, particularly in, I, I took a lot of classes about um, Africa. And so I was really interested in um, politics in order to be able to learn a little bit more about that, to bring that back into my classes. I also did an internship in, um, in Kenya and I did an internship in South Africa as well. So, and that's, that internship is actually where I met my boyfriend. So that was my way of combining the two. And then, you know, you don't get paid much to do an internship, but it was enough to be able to have a place to live while I was there. Um, and it was just a great way to be able to travel at the weekends. Whereas if you wanted to go there just for a weekend, it would be impossible. So 
that was the way I kind of combined the two. Oh my gosh, you are so, wait, so you also speak French? Not fluently. My, it's, it's bad. My dad uh, grew up in, in Belgium and oh my God, his parents, world traveled family. <laughs> his parents, because um, my granddad worked for the EU, they were based in, in Belgium. And so that side of the family, they went to uh, French school. So that side of the family speaks French. And here I am. And I, I'm, I'm all right. Like I can get by, but I'm definitely not fluent, not fluent enough to, you know, stay in Montreal. Otherwise I probably would have stayed in Montreal and got a job there, but I can't say I'm bilingual. So then okay. if you're not bilingual, you, it's harder to work in Montreal. That's why everyone moves to Toronto. Okay. Oh my gosh. I love this. Wow. Like, ah, I should have done the same thing. Like what do you call it? Have internships in places that I wanted to like, that is, I, that's so smart. You're killing all the birds with the same stone. <laughs> like, I'm getting my degree. I'm getting the work experience. I'm doing the internship. I'm seeing the world. I'm meeting the new people. I'm finding love. Like, oh my gosh. I just like this, this just gives me and brings me so much joy. Like, I just love this. Um, also another question on your travel. So like you mentioned that you moved to Canada alone, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you usually like what so when you've gone to these other places, do you usually go alone or do you like travel with company? And the reason I'm asking is like, what do you think are some of the benefits of traveling solo versus traveling with others? And then also for solo part, as a woman, my apprehension when traveling alone as a woman is like my safety. Yeah. So yeah, could you tell could you give me some thoughts on that basically? Absolutely. So traveling alone is definitely something that you have to think about a lot as a woman. I've done a couple of trips here and there where I have been on my own. Um, one of them was in Kenya. After my internship, I did a little bit of travel by myself. And my best advice, particularly for women, is um, stay at hostels and stay at places where there are other solo travelers and then try and go on group excursions. So you can book excursions and then go with other people. So at least you're not out there completely by yourself. There are also a lot of amazing women-focused um, trips you can be a part of. So even if you want to go to a place and you don't have a friend who can go there at the same time or it doesn't work out with your schedules to go with somebody else, you can go on these trips where it's just a, ho a whole load of other women who want to travel by themselves and then at least you're in a group with other like-minded individuals. I would say the way I've traveled in the past as well is I travel to the place by myself and then meet up with people while I'm there. So at least I know that there's somebody in the country that I know and I can do things with. Um, I've also typically read what about the, the latest warnings in the country because you just have to be, my best advice is be completely and utterly informed. Um, unfortunately, you know, I think particularly what's happened in the world recently is the idea that um, we shouldn't have to think about all of this stuff. We shouldn't. The world should not be as dangerous a place for women, but unfortunately it is. So how can we best protect ourselves? Read up on the government warnings, make sure that you have uh, your phone and you can, you've told somebody about your plans that day, have health insurance, you know, all of the basic stuff. I mean, bad things can happen but also you can trip and you know hurt your ankle or like step on a piece of glass so just make sure you're you're protected and I think be be sensible if there are certain countries where things are particularly challenging 
maybe just wait until you have somebody who can go with you. Um, I have typically gone to places which are on the safer side and just, you know, kept my wits about me and then have a friend that you meet up with at certain parts of your journey and it'll be good. And I think particularly combining it with the internship um, approach, you have a contact in the country, you have people who can tell you things what you read on the website, it's always better to speak to somebody and say, hey, is it actually safe to do such and such? Um, and just be, just be very aware. In South Africa, as an example, is there are certain places where you can walk home at night or in the day, and there are certain times when you just take an Uber. Like you wouldn't even, you shouldn't even try risking that. And learning about that was very important because you just don't want to you want to make sure that you're you're taking the best route for for you and for your safety so what is something that you think that you've learned from you know all these expeditions around the world that has transferred over into how you approach your career i've been extremely lucky to be able to travel as much as i have and also um having been born in a country that i'm not from I think particularly as in 2020 and 2021, this became more and more apparent to me how putting yourself in places where you don't look like everyone else and maybe you don't know the culture very well and things are pretty unfamiliar, that is so important to learn and grow. And you don't have to get on a plane and go to a different place. Like you can just join a new community in your area or you can watch a film or you can read a book about somebody else's experience. But I think for the world to be a more empathetic place just in general understanding and listening to other people's experiences that are different from your own is so important and i think that translates into the way that i work where i am not canadian and this culture you know we speak the same language but there still are various nuances to culture and being able to adapt to new environments new clients new colleagues we have a pretty um uh, pretty mixed group at my old company of people who are applying for permanent residency in Canada and aren't from here originally and being able to relate to their stories and just um, communicate with people from different places better I think that's been the biggest learning for me oh, how beautiful and my final question before we head out into the lightning round so this is a question I asked one of my other guests who I think is who I consider to be an overachiever and I very much think and this is a compliment, by the way, I think very much you're what do you call you've done it all like you won that collaborator of the year for a reason. But so my final Thank question you, that's is so sweet. You know, as as somebody that's, you know, disciplined, and you know, you have like a strong work ethic. I wanted to know your thoughts on these two quotes that I read. And okay, so the first one is the one that we've all heard, which is don't bite off more than you can chew. But I recently heard a podcast where a guest was asked, yeah, what the best advice she's ever received was. And hers was to bite off more than you can chew and chew as fast as you can. So on the one hand, you could argue that biting off more than you can chew leads to not being able to focus on any one thing, you know, because you're too busy juggling all these million things that you, you don't have the, the hands to juggle. Um, but the latter would argue that why not choke on greatness, you know, than to nibble on something small or mediocrity, you know? So I know you're a high, high achiever, you work hard. What are your thoughts on these two mantras? Yeah, that's really good. I hadn't heard the second one. So thanks for sharing that one with me. 
In the work that I've been doing, it definitely the past year has been pretty intense. I mean, I think we've all across industry, everyone's been the divide between work and, and personal life has been blurred by by working from home. And the hours have have been blurred also in in addition to that. I definitely think the hardest thing and the most important thing that I learned was learning to say no and setting boundaries because you can bite off more than you can chew, but if you're going to do it really fast and you're not going to do it well, and you're going to turn out the other side and not be too impressed with the work that you did, that I think is harder than being able to say, I got all of these 150 things done. It's not easy. It's not easy to say no. It's not easy to set boundaries. Many a time I've said, you know, I, I can't, I don't have bandwidth for that right now. I'll have to tackle it next week. And then in my mind, a little bit of a perfectionist, I'll try and get it done anyway. And I often burn myself out. I'm exhausted. I'm frustrated. And it doesn't, it, it's not conducive to great work. So I definitely think set yourself up for a challenge. Do try and go outside of your comfort zone and do things that are, that are harder and things that are unfamiliar to you, but make sure that you have, um, particularly at, at work with your manager, make sure you have super open communication. If stuff is, is getting too much, you need to let them know because it will be reflected in your work. And then equally in life, I mean, I definitely haven't made my life particularly easy. It would have been easier for me to have stayed in the UK and, you know, gone to university in the UK and, and not come somewhere that was new and foreign and strange. But what you learn when you're in a challenging situation, I think you grow faster than, than you do if, if you just don't, e don't even try a challenge. And I think everyone in, in their lives has different challenges. Life is, is a roller coaster, um, particularly when you have a pandemic thrown on top of that. But it really is an opportunity to grow. And I think the most important thing is through the ups and the downs, taking time to step back and see everything that you've done and really appreciating it. Because I think we're all biting off more than we can chew right now. And it'll be great for our growth. But we also need to take time to, to appreciate what we've done and know that we don't always have to do everything. We can say no sometimes. Um, and that's very important. Thank you for that solid advice. And now we're finally going to shift gears onto the lightning round. So are you ready? Yeah. It's time for the lightning round. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Morning. For profit or not profit? Eek. Um, <laughs> I would say I would, I would change this one a little bit. Um, I think it's like uh, public versus private companies. And I prefer, like I've worked for a lot of um, not-for-profits in the past. I prefer working on the private side just because I, I feel like sometimes things can get pushed through faster. But I think if you can also tack on uh, not-for-profit in your life and volunteer and, and donate. That's super important as well. Okay. <laughs> your favorite social media app? I'd probably say Instagram. Instagram? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, your favorite ads manager platform? I'd probably say Facebook ads manager. I'm just so familiar with it. Um, and if you could magically become fluent in any language, what would it be? Mandarin. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Uh, best piece of advice you've ever received? Oh, you can do it. You've got the potential. You can do it. Get out there and go for it. Uh, worst piece of advice you've ever received? Oh, gosh. Uh, I've, got, I've got one. 
Um, mine, and this is a little bit more about relationships, I would say, is um, having moments when people say, oh yeah, no, they'll get back to you, they'll respond to you, their phone's probably just dead. <laughs> no, this is in tandem with some of the best advice I ever received, which is if they want to see you and if they want to be with you, they will make sure that happens. Oh, I love that. If they're not, goodbye. Oh my gosh, yes. I need to remember that. You know, it's all these, uh, what do you call, hot girl summers coming up. If they want to reach out, <laughs> they will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, if you, what song or album could you listen to on repeat? The Divine Feminine by Mac Miller. Which cartoon character do you wish was real? I'd say Bojack Horseman. Oh my gosh. I'd like to see what that was like in real life. (laughs) (laughs) I could see that. Um, Would you rather buy a business or start a business? Start a business. And my final question, if you could describe yourself as a flavor, what would it be? And this is like open to your own interpretation of flavor. Like some people give me ice cream flavors, some people give me like candy flavors, some people like make up their own thing. So like whatever your interpretation of flavor is. Hmm. I think if I had to pick a flavor, it would be raspberry sorbet i like that no or raspberry I think gelato that yeah. does have, it's like you get your ice cream so you get your sweet it's a little bit a little tart cake. yeah mm-hmm. yeah get exactly i like that okay yeah. so that was a lot of fun and now to wrap up this episode mm-hmm. we all we wanted to send you all off with a quote and since you're the special guest georgia i would love for you to do the honors of course so the quote we have to wrap this up is by lee clow And it is, you have to be daring and make something that doesn't look like anybody else. Wonderful. So this was a lot of fun, Georgia. Thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on my podcast to talk to me about all this amazing stuff and for giving me your insight and your advice and all this amazing stuff. And I wish you the best of luck in your future endeavors. Thank you so much, Shuba. This was an absolute delight to be here today. That brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you folks enjoyed that. Join me next Sunday for another episode on Keep It Spicy. If you want to stay in the loop, follow me on Instagram at underscore Keep It Spicy and on Twitter at Keep It Spicy Pod for more related content and some pick-me-ups in the middle of your week. Like, comment, and share the content and podcast with friends and family. On that note, remember folks, Keep It Spicy, yours truly, XX.